This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. It's great seeing you guys. Go ahead and find your seat. A couple things that we want to make sure that you get in your hands today is a Bible. So if you don't have a Bible with you or you don't have one on your phone or an app, some way that you can get to Psalms 23. That's where we want you to be. Uh, But if you don't have a Bible, we have one for you. So raise your hand real quick. Let one of these guys get a Bible in your hand and we'll make sure that we go through this series in Psalms together. As you're turning there, I want to make some things just real quick. Josh will talk about it at the end, so I, I won't go uh, off on it because he does a good job at the end. But VBS is coming up this week. And as, as your pastor, I just want to ask that you would serve these kids. I, I know there's a lot of us who just go, I'm not a kid person. And, uh, and, and I get that. I, I get it. But I also don't at the same time. God calls us to serve uh, and to give our lives for the sake of others. And the most vulnerable and weak of them are the ones that we should be drawn to and prone to. And our kids are, are, are in need of our service. We have almost 100 kids signed up. There's always some that just show up. We need volunteers and help. And the way that we're asking for that even just today is that you stay quickly after service. We're going to tear the chairs down so that they can make this into a cave because I guess it's like a caveman theme um, or something like that. Caveman. I'm going to be dressed in loincloth and all. No, just kidding. Um, yeah, just kidding. Um, uh, well, maybe maybe I'll do it with that reaction. Um, yeah, I ain't scared of y'all. Um, and so, uh, and then, and then at, come back at two o'clock because we're going to make all the classrooms into caves and there's going to be just a fun time for kids if you could come back at two we really do need your help there's a lot of work to be done talk to mel also and just say how can i help this week if you didn't sign up bring kids we really want you to be involved but uh even if it's just a couple of the nights that's all week this week so make sure to get involved with that the other thing as you're turning to psalms 23 and then we're going to read together is uh, I really missed you guys while I was gone. I'm so thankful for the vacation and the time we got to have as a family. But uh, I'm just reminded every time I go away of how thankful I am for this community. I really do love you guys and miss you while I'm gone. My wife and I were talking about it. We were out one day looking at the scenery and we were reminded of of just uh, the people that God's placed in our lives. And and, and this is not just... uh, a statement. It may sound like an R&B song, but I would, ra- I would much rather, uh, if, if I had to choose, uh, look at, at you guys than some scenery out in the middle of nowhere, right? To be in relationship in this community is far more beautiful. And I think what ends up happening is we forget what we really have, and, and it's times away like that that remind us. And I just want you to know I love you. The other thing is how valuable our leadership team is. I, I tell you, I listened to the sermon from Pastor Wes and Pastor Wayne, and I was really encouraged, particularly um, how honest Pastor Wes was with his poem and his sermon. It really touched the heart of the Psalms, and I was so encouraged by it. And then Wayne painted just a beautiful picture of the greatness and the beauty of God. And I'm reminded every time I go away how lucky we are to have such gifted leaders in this church. And I'm so thankful for all of you who served while my uh, family and I were gone. So I just want you guys to know that I love you and I'm thankful to be back 
and ready to jump into all that God has for us going forward. Um, a few things that I want to remind you of every time we start into one of these chapters in Psalms is there's a tendency for us to want to come to service to kind of check off uh, a responsibility we have or we feel we have to God. And what ends up happening in those times is that we set, if I'm going to come here, here's what I want. I want good information about who God is, and I want that information to really be good and, and encouraging. And we kind of set these expectations of what we want when we come to a service like that. We're, we're consumers. We live in a consumeristic culture. That's how, we, that's how we determine whether something's profitable or not. What do we get out of it? The problem with the Psalms is it pushes against consumerism and it, it pushes against just information and it calls us to formation. All of Scripture does, but the Psalms in particular. And so as we're approaching the Psalms, and there's some things I want us to make sure we put up on the screen. First is this, that we are called to formation and not information. If you walk out of this room and in your heart and in your mind you're going man that was good stuff I really liked that and then by the time you get to lunch you've already forgotten it uh, we miss the point of what the Psalms are trying to do it's to form us not just individually but as a people it's to form us and so formation is extremely important second is this the Psalms call us to knowing who God is and who we are. I love what Dallas Willard says. He says, if you bury yourself in the Psalms, you'll emerge knowing God and understanding life. I love the burial idea. The idea of being buried. And once resurrection takes place, here's what will happen. So if you bury yourself in the Psalms, you will come out knowing God better and understanding life. And I'm praying that you won't just come and kind of study the Psalms, but that you will figure out what does it mean to bury myself? in the psalm to bury myself to come out knowing God deeper and understanding life the third thing is this we're not asking you to just listen we're asking you to enter into the psalms and enter into the prayer with all the saints here's what we have to understand about the psalms a couple things uh, Eugene Peterson says this he says our habit is to talk about God not to him we love discussing God the Psalms resists these discussions, and they, they are not provided to teach us about God, but to train us in responding to Him. We don't learn the Psalms until we are praying them. Here's how you're going to really understand the Psalms. Enter into it and pray it. And when you're praying the Psalms, recognize this. You are praying with all the saints. The Psalms is not a journal that just got cracked open and it was a private journal of David or songs that he wrote. The Psalms were written as a corporate prayer book, a Psalms book, a book in which the people of God together could be shaped and formed together. And it calls us to not just say, I'm going to personally go there, but I'm going to enter into the prayer with all the saints. And so here's what the call is. Enter into this. Be formed by this. Bury yourself in it. 
That's why we're doing a few things. You'll see this if you haven't been here. I'll do a shorter sermon, and then we'll have two people come up who've been meditating on this and buried themselves in it. They'll pray the Psalms in their own words. We'll sing a song at the end that kind of reflects what we just studied, and then we'll have a time of communion and confession together and prayer where you have uh, have to enter into it. We're going to leave a lot more time at the end to enter into what we've been looking at. So let's stand together. And as we stand, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Sometimes I say read along as I read. You can do that if you want to. The other thing is maybe you should practice the habit of just listening, maybe closing your eyes and just listening and letting the Lord speak to you. But I'm going to read Psalms 23, and my prayer is as I'm reading this, I'm going to read it slowly. I'm asking that God would speak to us through his word, that we would hear it and know that this is his word. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Um, Psalms 23 is the, uh, the Michael Jordan of uh, Psalms. Some of you get it. It's 23, you get it? Uh, but it's also not just the number 23 that makes it the Michael Jordan. When you think of Michael Jordan, you think of basketball. That's what you think of. When you think of Psalms 23, you think of the most read, the most sung, the most thought of. Everybody thinks of, the Lord is my shepherd. That's that's what's read. Every funeral you go to, almost every funeral you go to, Psalms 23 is being read. Now listen, I have zero problem with, with, with Psalms 23 being read at funerals, considering that it talks about the valley of the shadow of death. And then at the end, it talks about the hope of eternity with, with, with him. I have zero problem. The problem that I struggle with is when people take it because it's read at funerals and make it a funeral psalm. It's not a funeral psalm. There's more that talks about life and the shepherding of God and what we get as the people of God because He is our shepherd than it does talk about death and the afterlife, if you will. So here's what I'm asking. This is just because you've heard this before, just because this is the Michael Jordan of Psalms, I, I pray that at the same time you refuse familiarity to become contemptment, like you just understand it and you get it. When you could be facing some big things today and need to hear who God is. 
Psalms 23 hit me more than any of the Psalms that I've been studying. And what we're doing as we're talking through Psalms is we're pushing back the desire, if you will, because all of us as preachers love to preach. But we're pushing back the preaching desire. And we're moving into, over this summer, a different practice of meditation and just sharing with you uh, what we've been meditating on and how the psalm hit us. And so we've asked every preacher, and I'm only doing six out of the 12, and we have six others who, have doing, who are doing meditations just to show that God speaks through the psalms as we enter into them. And one of those big things for me this week ha- was how significant this psalm became to me as I buried myself in it. Primarily because that first line, the Lord is my shepherd. I could have just stayed there and been done. And here's the reason why. Like David, I'm a shepherd. David, all of his life was a shepherd. From the time he was a kid, he spent all of his life shepherding sheep. And God loves to take people out of their vocation, if you will, and make them into, he loves taking humble vocations and making them into leaders. But if you notice, he was a shepherd as a boy, a really good shepherd with zero aspirations of being a king. And God took him and made him a shepherd over the whole nation, one of the best kings. Just like he took his disciples who were fishermen and made them fishers of men. Do you get that? He didn't call them shepherds, right? Until later in different illustrations, he called them fishers of men. He took their vocation and the things in which they had known and been shaped by, and he said, I'm going to change its purpose, but I'm going to use it. Here's a guy who is a shepherd, always been a shepherd from the time he was a boy. And the thing that really helps me in this is that when you become a shepherd and you've always been a shepherd, you start identifying with the shepherd, if you will. And this is, let me make this point. For me, when I really start thinking about what it means to be a shepherd, I think of what it means to be a shepherd as a pastor, what it means to be a shepherd in my family, what it means to be a shepherd with my wife, with my kids, all the kinds of things of what it means to be a shepherd. And here's the reason why. It's a very difficult, frustrating thing to be a shepherd sheep don't don't like to listen they wander not only do they wander they think they know everything they're constantly critiquing how you're shepherding even though they don't shepherd anything they think they know how to do your job better except they don't want to step up and do it They're constantly correcting, critiquing. They constantly uh, are revealing that they may not be sheep. They might be wolves in sheep's clothing. (laughs) Besides the fact of looking out for enemies who are constantly attacking and critiquing, you're constantly having to feel the weight of, I already told you to do this. Get back, get back, get back. And you're putting your life on the line for people who don't even recognize it. Like you think of David who spent his life killing animal, like vicious animals who are trying to attack the sheep and the sheep don't even realize they're being protected. He puts his life on the line over and over and over again and he could easily identify the shepherd. Then he becomes king and it's the same thing. It's just people, right? 
He could have easily approached the Psalms and say, God, I get you. I'm a shepherd too. Me and you, we got that in common. Except when he comes to Psalms 23, he doesn't identify with the shepherd. He makes himself a sheep. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. You want to know the biggest problem with people who have any kind of leadership in any way? Is they find their identity in that and they think they can relate to God because there's some leader rather than realizing primarily you're not a shepherd, you're a sheep. Primarily, I'm not a shepherd. Primarily, I'm a sheep and I need a shepherd. That's what I need. And for David, who was a shepherd all of his life and a king, to start this psalms by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, not, hey, I get you, God. We're both shepherds. But to realize he's a sheep, he's prone to wander. He's constantly questioning God. He's constantly going after and wandering off. He's constantly the one who's, who's, who's attacking the very leadership of his, of his shepherd. He's the one who's in that. He puts himself in the place of the sheep and says, the Lord is my shepherd. What I needed this week as I was looking at this was not to say, oh man, look at, look at how hard it is to be a shepherd. What I needed to hear this week was, God's my shepherd. I'm a sheep. He's my shepherd. And because he is my shepherd, David starts to list all these benefits. And I'm going to put up on the screen the benefits that he lists, but I'm only going to meditate on a few because I don't want to spend all the time breaking down like a sermon, these different ones. The first thing we see is this. Because God is my shepherd, I have all I need. I'm going to meditate on that one in a minute, but I'm going to have to go back to it. Because God is my shepherd, I have all I need. The reason why I'm going to meditate on that one is because even me saying it makes a lot of you uncomfortable. Because God is my shepherd, I have all my need, all I need. Number two, because God is my shepherd, I have peace that passes understanding. Where do we see that? We see that in Psalms 23, 2, where he says, he lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. Where do we see we have all I need? Well, the first verse, 23, 1, because God is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I, he straight out says it. Because God is my shepherd, number three, I have a life that is mapped out by God. Basically, I have providence. Providence means a life mapped. I have guidance. He renews my life. He leads me along the right path for his namesake. Not because of me, but because of his namesake. He leads me down the right path. God is leading me, and he has a life mapped out for me. He knows where we're going. He's not lost. Because the Lord is my shepherd... What do we see next? I have discipline and correction, and that comforts me. Where do we see that? Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Rod and staff is discipline and correction. It's what the shepherd would use to correct and discipline his sheep. That's what he would use, the rod and the staff. But he doesn't say, it hurts. He says, your discipline comforts me. 
Because you're my shepherd, your discipline comforts me. Your correction comforts me. What do we see? Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have safety from my enemies. I'm going to spend a little time meditating on that because of how dear it is to me. And because the Lord is my shepherd, I have a home awaiting me in heaven. Only goodness and faithfulness and love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. What is he saying? There's a hope and that this good shepherd is not just leading me in this life. He's leading me into this new earth where I will be with him and dwell with him forever. A lot of that stuff, if we're honest, becomes uncomfortable only because it looks different than what we see because we're so used to walking by sight rather than by leadership or by faith, faith trusting in. And rather than trusting in the shepherd, we're so used to critiquing based upon, well, if you say this, then why is all this happening? So it becomes contradictory for us to say things like, because the Lord is my shepherd, I have no need. It, it starts sounding like, and here's the best example that I could throw out there. Have you ever been looking at somebody else's phone and, and realized their phone does a lot more than your phone, but you have the same phone, like the exact same model, everything like they're doing things on it. And you're like, hold on a second. Uh, can my phone do that? And they're like, uh, yeah. You just got to download this app, right? And you're like, hold on. I've had this phone for this long and didn't realize that this was offered to me, right? And so you start looking at it. Now, listen, for those of you who have flip phones, I know that just went over your head. You can't get an app on your flip phone. I know you've tried. You're like, how do I get that, you know, angry birds on here, you know? <laughs> I'm talking about, you know, most of us have some kind of phone. But, but the issue is that we don't, it's not that we don't have this, it's that we don't understand or we haven't accessed all that we have on that phone. And the reality of this text, the reason it becomes uncomfortable to us is not because it's, it, it's, it's not there, it's because we haven't understood or accessed what we actually have in God, in Him being our shepherd. And because our situation doesn't look like this, it doesn't feel real, but the reality is then you see somebody else going through the exact same situation and they're walking through it totally differently than you. And you're going, wait, can I have that? Like, hold on, you went through that and you're... You have peace. Hold on. You went through that and you're not panicking trying to find something else in which could find you leadership and guidance and purpose. Like all of a sudden, hold on, wait a minute. You're, you're going through that and, and, and you have a sense of trust in God. The only reason people can walk through the things that they're walking through is not because they have a different phone than you, right? You get what I'm saying? It's that they have accessed all that they have because the Lord is their shepherd. And this is what David is doing here. Listen, I'll guarantee you David's been through worse than you have. Guarantee it. 
you look at his life, you'll agree with me. He's been through some stuff. He's not just doing some big uh, pie-in-the-sky idea. And you'll see this even in this text. But here's what he says. And the ones that really hit me, he says, you know, I have all that I need. He says that I have peace that passes understanding. I have guidance. I have discipline and correction that comfort me. I have safety from enemies. I have a home awaiting me in heaven. Here's the only ones that I can meditate on with the time that's been, that I've given myself, if you will. One is, I think a lot of us have a hard time saying we don't lack anything. And here's the reason why. Because there's things we want. There's things that we want that we don't have and we are waiting to get them until we walk in no lack. That's the reality of it. Most of us live our life waiting for the next thing until we understand all that we have. Here's, Here's what I mean. For a long time, you have said, when I get that next job, I'll be happy. Then you got the next job And you said, when I get the next job, I'll be happy. Now you're still waiting for the next job and miserable. Let me just give you some insight. When you get the next job, if that boss hires your miserable self, you will be miserable. Why? Because you're the common denominator at every job you get. And you're constantly waiting for the next thing. And when you say, I have all I need and I'm not lacking anything, you refuse to wait for the next thing before you enjoy. Wait, what about, I need need a raise. I need more money. Once I get more money, I will walk in generosity and abundance and love for others. I will be far more gracious. I will be generous. I'll tithe. I'll do all these. I can't tell you how many promises I've heard from people once they get their raises. Listen, if you ever get a raise, you'll spend it. You'll consume it. Because you're waiting for the next thing. If I could just get out of this marriage and find somebody else who really loves me, I'll be so happy. And then when you're married, if I could just be single again, it would be the best thing for me. We're constantly looking for the next thing because we are searching for happiness in things that are in the future. We are searching for fulfillment in things that are in the future. And the reality is it is really hard for the child of God to say, because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Can I just tell you something? If you're a parent, you might get this, maybe. Uh, Parenting has changed so much. Um, But do you realize that there are things your kids want that you say no to. I know that's changed. I, like, everybody says yes to everything now. I know that's changed. But do you think there's, there's things that your kid's like, hey, listen, I want cotton candy for dinner again, right? And you're like, oh, you just had it for lunch, right? Uh, I know I hate to say this, but no. Let me just give you like incredible parenting advice. Saying no to your kid is good parenting. That's good parenting. Yeah, but they want it. 
But how many times do you have to look at your child and say, just because you want it doesn't mean you're lacking. You have all that you need. The reality is good shepherding is not giving the sheep everything they want. It's giving them what they need. Sometimes he gives us what we want. Sometimes we get more. Sometimes I, I look at all that I have and I say, wow. But I will say this to you. Because God is my shepherd, I'm not lacking anything. That's hard to believe when there's so much we want. But what that reveals about our hearts is that we are looking for other places for fulfillment. When we are waiting for the next thing to fulfill us, we need to look at that and see that God's revealing to us all that we really do have in Him. The other one that I want to focus on, there's so much more as far as trusting what peace that passes understanding is like. But understanding that even in the darkest valley, I don't have to fear because his rod and his staff, they comfort me. Here's the beauty of discipline and correction. Good shepherding means that if you're not being corrected and disciplined and hit with the rod and your legs broken and things happening, um, Scripture says that he disciplines those that he loves and one of the surest signs when you're going through a hard time and you're getting beat up that God is with you is that you're still getting beat up. He's still disciplining you because when he removes his discipline and correction, that's when you should start getting really uh, nervous. Like Romans says, when he turns you over to your idols and says, that's what you want, you can have them. What we need to find comfort is in that through the darkest times, the thing that is guiding us is that God is still disciplining us. I was talking to a brother on, on Wednesday night during prayer, and he was saying, man, God is all over me right now. He's correcting me. He's stripping things away. He's like yelling at me, if you will. He's spanking me. He's just all over disciplining me. And I said, man, that's good news. God loves you so much. He disciplines you. That should teach you that he's with you right now. He's with you. I love how David looks at discipline. I want to look at discipline that way. It's a comfort to have a shepherd that loves you enough to correct you. The last one that I want to meditate on is in the presence of my enemies. This one's hard for us, but I did not have a struggle with this. Um, and here's the reason why. In a world of tolerance, we have a hard time acknowledging that we have enemies. Everybody's just different is how we like to word it. And the reality is, if we're honest, we're not bold enough about the gospel to have people hate us. That's the reality. When it comes to shepherding, 
The thing that I think is most interesting is the ones that become your enemies are the people you probably poured the most into and loved a ton. And they turn around and come after you and you realize they might have not been the sheep and you getting bit by a wolf and you realize, man, this is painful. The people that I've helped so much are coming back after me. Or when you're preaching the gospel and you're talking about things that Jesus says, there's a whole world that rubs against that and they don't like the gospel, right? They don't like the good news. It's not good news to them. And, and the reality that Jesus is king and Lord of life and that we should submit to them. Nobody wants to submit to anybody. Don't tell us what to do. And that reality starts getting, you start feeling the weight when there's boldness of people who are coming against God. I get that, but it feels like they're coming against you. And outright, there's just people who, who just don't like you for no reason at all, right? But everything in me, no matter who they are or what they've done, no matter if it's cultural enemies, close enemies, no matter what it is, there's something in me that wants to fight back and protect myself. And I want everybody to know that I really am the right one and, and they're the wrong one and we're going to go toe to toe and I will do all that I can to protect myself. And I'm going to tell you, David was a warrior. David was a shepherd. David knew how to fight with his hands. And for him to say, the Lord is my shepherd so I don't have to protect myself. That's a big statement. He is going to protect me. And not only is he going to protect me, he's going to prepare a table for me while my enemies are watching. I don't have to make myself look good. I don't have to try to prove myself. I don't have to protect myself. I don't have to go after everybody who's talking about me doing these things. The Lord's my shepherd. That's a big deal. The biggest thing that hit me in this, and I hope will hit you today as we start singing, is for the first three verses of Psalms 23, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me. He does this. He does this. And then when it gets to verse 4, it says, they, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and staff, they cover me. Now he's not saying he will do this. After the valley of the shadow of death, it moves from he to you. He's not referring to God as someone who's out there. Now that he's gone through the valley of the shadow of death, he said you. Prepare a table before me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You, you, I will be with you forever. There's something about the valley of the shadow of death that makes God not just a he who's out there, but personalizes it and makes him your God. I know if it was up to us and if we were the shepherd, we would go through nothing wrong and we would face no problems. But because the Lord is the shepherd, when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, it's actually a part of his shepherding. Why? Because he doesn't just want to be he and the Lord. He wants to be personal, your 
God is with you. I've been through some stuff. You've been through some stuff. And this may sound weird, except for those who understand it. Then you're going to like, I get you. I'm going through stuff right now. I know some of you are in this room. But the thing that keeps me the most is when I look back at the hardest times of my life, times that I was begging God, get me out of this stuff. And he wouldn't. In those times, I became so close to God and began to understand him in ways that I never did when I was by green passion, you know, waters, clear, everything's good. But I look back on those times and I almost miss them because of how close I got to God in those times. Listen, I wouldn't wish what I've gone through on anybody else. I wouldn't even want to go back there if it's my choice. But I will tell you this. I thank him for it. Because in that time, God became more than just the Lord is my shepherd. He does this. He became more than just an intellectual kind of distant God to me. And he became my God. The one who's with me. The one who is preparing. He's gonna. It's amazing that in this prayer, David moves from just talking about God to talking to God. And my prayer today, and why we do these, these prayers at the end, is as Anthony and Kaylee come up and they, they read these prayers as they've buried themselves in these prayers, is that we would understand that I don't want these prayers to be just good information that we learn about and we get up here and we're like, wow, that's really good stuff. I want us to bury ourselves so deeply that these prayers become ours. That's why we're having them come up and pray these prayers in their own words because I want them, I want you to hear someone who's praying Psalms 23 as if it's their own prayer. And then we're going to sing. And I'm asking you to enter into that prayer. Pray it yourself. Ask yourself this question, who are you trusting? Because the reality is y'all are trusting somebody and somebody's leading you. Who is leading you and who are you trusting? Who is your shepherd? And do you trust Jesus? Do you trust him? Is he your God? And let this stuff become personal for you. Right now, in the midst of all that you're facing, look at who God is. Past few months have been uh, real hectic in my life. Um, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, good, bad times. So when I was asked to come up here today and and reflect on this psalm and write it in my own words and as a prayer, uh, it seemed like a night and day difference. Like I didn't know how to connect. I thought uh, in order for me to put it in my own words and to pray it to God, I would have to go to a place similar to the way Psalm 30, 23 describes, you know, green pastures, quiet, still waters, some kind of quiet, a physical, literal place. Um, so I was trying to find different places to go to where there could be some peace or quiet, and I was having trouble finding a place like that. Um, and God, what he did, 
over the past few weeks was show me that it wasn't going to be a literal place and it never was, but it was always going to be him, that he was going to be the place. So when I started to put pen to paper, uh, these are the words that came out as, as my prayer for Psalm 23. There are times in my life when everything is so loud and fast, God, it feels like a constant hustle. I don't have time to slow down. There's so much noise. All of, not all of it's bad, but I'm looking for a quiet place, a refuge from distraction. God, help me. When I go home, it's full of joy and love, laughter and good memories, but it's loud, Father. When I go to work, I get to express myself. I get to do good work and honest work, but it's far from quiet. Even places where I go to have fun, there's excitement, but it's not quiet there either. Lord, I'm longing for your silence, for your peace. There's one last place that I look, and that place is you. And I found it, God. When I enter into the shelter that is your presence, I'm surrounded by ways of peace. Taking me by the hand, you show me all around. And I realize there's nothing else I'd rather have or any place I'd rather go. I just want to stay here, enjoying the sunshine of your holiness. I feel safe here, God. I am safe here. Oddly enough, there are some rough roads and dark places, but all my fear's gone because your strength and power have no limit. What's there to be afraid of? And the dinner table, it's got everything you could imagine. Why are you so good to me, Father? Serving me, plates of heavenly design, even when Satan himself is glaring right at me. It's you who protects me. I love it here with you, Lord. I get to rest here until the stars burn out and an infinite amount of time passes after that. Don't let me forget this, God. Don't let me forget you. Amen. God is so good. I can't even describe the words that I feel right now because I just know that there's so much like going through my head and just on the paper and just the Lord clearly has a word today and Aaron did an awesome job. But the thing that I just can't stop hearing in my mind is just like peace is like not the absence of turmoil, but God's presence within it. So I just, when I was like reading this and when I was studying, um, not studying for it, just prepping for it, um, I felt the love of a father figure, just like a paternal love. And the love of a father is so interesting because you don't really have to do anything for it, you know? You just get it. Like if you were a parent, you have like a kid, you just love that kid so much, you know? And so when I was prepping for this, I just felt the Lord's love over me, like a father figure, like, Kaylee, you like already have my heart. You already have it. So I just is kind of like my response to that fatherly love. My father, your goodness, it overwhelms me. It's everywhere I look. When my heart feels hurt and my love comes back unreturned, when I feel my eyes begin to flood Jesus, it's only into your arms I run. A sprint, an all-out run, you hold me. Jesus, you're my one and only. Forgive my impatient heart. 
It just wants love, but it forgot where to start. You are so good to your daughter. I may falter, but you steady me. More than once I have known your rod and staff to protect me from my own stupidity. You spare me from the humiliation of myself by your grace, and you lead me down your way. Unreserved and unrestrained, your love, it's for me, pursuing me with reckless abandon till I see your face. When I set out to run this race, I never knew how sweet your love is for me. Your love is many things. It's mercy. It's grace. You are good to your daughter. You are good to me. Oh, Lord, remind me of your goodness and let me walk in that truth that I may have nothing apart from you. So here is my broken heart. It's all I have, but it's a start. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.